0: The lesson is taken from Luke chapter one, beginning at verse 26. That could be found on page 1025 in the Pew Bibles. Luke 1, 26. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of God.
1: Thanks very much, Carly. So my name's Ruth, I'm the almost curate, and uh, we're going to pray as we start. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage, thank you for all that you can teach us through it, and I pray that you give us open hearts and minds this morning. In your name, amen. So it seems a really strange time of year, doesn't it, to read this passage. Um, I half expect to close my eyes, and then open them again and see some twinkly lights and lots of candles and a Christmas tree over there. And a rather nervous-looking choir stood just behind me. Um, but we're exactly nine months from Christmas Eve today. Um, that's 289 shopping days, you'll be glad to know. And given that Christmas is all about a birth... Well, the dates work out, biologically speaking, don't they? In fact, tomorrow, the 25th, is the Feast of the Annunciation to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So, for once, we're actually following the lectionary. This is good. And you know, I think it can be a really good idea to look at some of these passages outside of what we would consider to be their normal season. Because it gives us a chance to see them from a new angle and a new perspective. So we're going to look at this passage today under three different headings. We're going to look at the planning of God, the purpose of God, and the promise of God. And then we're going to apply that to our own situations, so you know where we're going. So this passage shows that there had been an enormous amount of planning that went into this moment in time. In order to set the scene, we're told in verse 26 that Elizabeth, who is Mary's cousin, is six months pregnant. Now, this is in itself a miracle, because she was way too old to have a baby, and yet a baby is on its way. And this is the first hint we get in this passage that something unusual is happening, something strange is going on here. And the second thing is that Gabriel has been sent to deliver some news. Now, Gabriel is one of the senior angels. He's an archangel. He's one of God's special messengers. It's not the sort of angel you see on a Christmas tree. He was a big chap, enormous, frightening to look at. And he was speaking the words of God. He came straight from the presence of God to speak directly to Mary. And you'll notice in the Bible that the appearance of angels always causes people to have a panic. And Gabriel has to reassure Mary, it's all right, don't be afraid. You've actually found favor with God. It's okay. And so Mary learns that she's been chosen. And this isn't some random act of God. Because it seems that, to her astonishment, the prophecies concerning the birth of this Messiah are about to be fulfilled. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so this peasant girl from Galilee learns that she has been marked out by God as the one who's to give birth to the Messiah. Now, this is a very sudden and life-changing event, isn't it, for Mary in the middle of her daily routine. I don't know what she was up to. Perhaps she was getting water or cooking or cleaning or something like that. And she was probably only a young girl, possibly a teenager, going about her daily work, betrothed to be married to an older man called Joseph. And in those days, betrothal was as legally binding as marriage is today. She lived in a small, isolated community, and she was a Jewess living under Roman occupation. And of course, as a woman, she would have had no legal standing at all, and she would have been relatively uneducated. But as a Jew growing up in that close-knit community, she would have grown up hearing the men discuss the prophecies surrounding the longed-for Messiah. And so she'd have been familiar with some of the words that Gabriel uses in verses 32 and 33, because he says that this child will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Those would have been familiar words to Mary. But the thing is that now she's hearing those words applied to her own child, and this is a child that's not yet been conceived. Just, just think about that for a moment. This is a peasant girl, young peasant girl, finding out that she is going to give birth to the Messiah. And an angel has been sent by God himself, directly, personally, to tell her. Imagine the sorts of thoughts that must have been clamoring around Mary's head at that moment. A baby? Me? Um, What about Joseph? Uh, Mum is really not going to be happy about this. Can you imagine the gossip when the bump starts to show? Oh, but wait a minute, and you know, I love the down-to-earth practicality of Mary's next question, because she says, "Um, how is this even possible? I'm a virgin. Even in the presence of this mighty angel, this messenger from God, Mary has the guts and the presence of mind to point out that there might just be a small flaw in this plan. She wasn't daft. She knew enough to know that Gabriel might have missed one fairly crucial element. But of course, God and Gabriel are one step ahead. And even this has been planned. And so Gabriel explains to Mary that in some mysterious way, God's Holy Spirit will enable, to have, um, enable her to have this baby, to conceive child, without the need for human help. Because this child is going to be the son of God. This child is special. He's unique. And added to that, the baby's name has already been chosen. This baby is already known and loved and planned for. In fact, his existence has been planned for since the beginning of time, and his name gives us a glimpse of the purposes of God that are at work here, because his name is Jesus, which means Son of the Most High, Saviour. And so by the end of this encounter, Mary's encounter with Gabriel, she is reassured that this is no accident And she's been given a glimpse of her place in the plans and the purposes of God. And she accepts that role. May your word to me be fulfilled. It's just amazing, humility and obedience, really, isn't it? So we can see from all that that this seemingly sudden event is part of a lengthy process of planning. And God's timing is absolutely spot on, as usual. We come on to the purpose of what this was all about. I think often we can miss the impact of the purposes of God that are at work here in this story. We're used to viewing the Christmas story in the light of what we already know about the life and the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. But of course, at this point in time, Mary had absolutely no idea of what was ahead of her for her and her baby. And at this point in history, there had been about 400 years of prophetic silence. God seemed to have stopped speaking. He seemed to have stopped interacting with his people. And the Jewish people are now under Roman rule and they're desperate for this long promised Messiah to come. They want to be rescued, they want to be set free, they want to defeat the might of Rome. And now, suddenly, things are starting to shift. God's intervention comes relatively unnoticed, doesn't it? And the location that God chooses is an obscure village to the north of the country. And so the most the people who are most looking for God to intervene, the Jewish leaders, many of them based in Jerusalem, are kept out of the loop. They're completely unaware of what is going on. And instead, it's this young peasant girl who receives the angelic visit. So what on earth is going on? Well, I think the first thing is that purposes of God are far bigger than anything people had imagined, certainly the Jewish leaders. And God being God was going to bring those plans to fruition in in ways that were counterintuitive. They couldn't have seen it coming. They didn't. Contrary to what the Jews longed for, i.e. somebody coming with an army, probably, wanting to beat up the Romans. Their Messiah was going to arrive without very much fanfare or fuss at all. He was going to be born into poverty and obscurity. But he was going to usher in a new and different sort of kingdom, even greater than mighty Rome. And this kingdom was going to be eternal. They couldn't have understood that at the time. Lots of them never really understood it. Because the Jewish leaders hadn't really grasped what God's purposes were all about, and that was about salvation. The clue, of course, is in the name that Jesus is given, because Jesus means rescuer and saviour. And so God's purposes were about setting his people free, rescuing them from everything that enslaved them. I mean, not, not just for the Jews, either. It was going to be for the whole of humanity And the rule and reign of God were never going to just be limited to overthrowing the Roman Empire, but actually about putting an end to the power of sin and death at work in the lives of the people that God loved. So this plan was history-changing. It was world-altering, far bigger than anything they'd ever thought about. And also it's clear from what we've already said that this isn't some kind of frantic plan put into action by a God who's been caught by surprise by the mess that his world has got into. This is about God's action plan for salvation, and it's been part of his purpose since before time began. And his purpose in starting with Mary was partly, I think, to show that God's ways are never our ways. His purposes are so much bigger than anything we could ever think of. And of course, ultimately, to remind us that he is God, and we are not. Sorry to break it to you, but we're not. So we come on to the promises of God. It struck me afresh as I read this. It's a passage that we all know so well. Just how full of promise and hope this passage really is. We already know that Elizabeth has conceived miraculously. Times when they had very little medical, if any, Um, help at all. Certainly no IVF or anything like that. And that would have been a major event in her community, a major talking point. I love the way that Gabriel treats Mary with such respect and tenderness and assures her right from the beginning that she's found favor with God. She is part of his plan and she is to have the great honor of carrying God's son inside her. And Elizabeth's pregnancy is to encourage Mary that actually God really is in control. This isn't just something that she's sort of thought up in her head. Actually, this is really God at work because he's done it for Elizabeth and he will do it for her. And then there's the promise, isn't there, that this child really is going to be their saviour, their messiah, and their king. That all the promises made over the centuries are really going to be fulfilled. So that the gods that we can read about in the Old Testament who led Israel over so many centuries hasn't forgotten them. He hasn't abandoned them. Even though it seems as though he's gone silent or perhaps he's gone on holiday somewhere. But actually he's engaged with them. He hasn't changed. And he's going to come and live amongst them in human form. As they say on a video, they wouldn't be expecting that. This promised child, of course, is going to be a world changer—not just for then, not just for, for first-century Palestine, but for all of eternity. And then, right at the end, there's a gentle reminder from Gabriel to Mary that when God promises something, his, or He always delivers on His promises. He says, "No word from God will ever fail." So this passage is full of promise. It's full of hope. It's full of future expectations. And there's so much there, isn't there, for Mary to take in and absorb. We've got no idea how long this interaction took. Perhaps it was a few minutes. It might have been longer. I don't know. But I wonder how she felt when God had left. I wonder whether she felt really dazed. Perhaps she wondered if she'd dreamt it all, made it all up. Perhaps, you know, thought being caught in the sunlight or something. But, you know... For me, perhaps the most amazing sentence in this whole passage is when she just says, I am the Lord's servant. May your will, may Your word to me be fulfilled. Just let that settle for a moment. There is such a beautiful humility and obedience and trust that she shows here. This is a simple peasant girl sacrificing her life, her plans for the future, plans of marriage, and saying yes to the plans of God in her life. There are no arguments, no hesitations. She just says yes. And don't forget, she could have said no. That's quite possible. I believe that God is quite big enough, quite God enough, to have sorted this without Mary, if her answer had been different. But she said yes. I've often wondered what my response would have been and what you think you'd have said. So I wonder if you have ever said yes to God about something, thinking that you had a pretty good idea of what you were signing up for and about the course your life would then take and then found out that you were quite wrong and that your yes started a chain of events that you really didn't feel that you'd signed up for. Mary could have had no idea just how tough life would get. At that point in time, she was saying yes to having a baby, to having God's son, and as an unmarried mother, that was a big enough deal for her at the time, in any case. She didn't know how it would end. She didn't know about the pain and the suffering. She didn't know that one day she would sit at the foot of her son's execution cross. She had no idea about all that. But she knew that God had promised to fulfill all that He had promised. So saying yes to God in our lives is not a guarantee that everything's going to be hunky-dory from now on. Many of you already know that from years of experience. Saying yes can be the start of a tough journey. But it's still true that the promises of God never fail. It's no word from God will ever fail. He says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And those promises are just as true today in 2019 as they were when they were first made. They haven't changed. God doesn't change. And so what I think God is requiring from us is that same trusting obedience that Mary showed. Now, we won't be asked to give birth to the Son of God because that's already been done. But we might be asked to do other things that would take us way outside of our comfort zone. We might face opposition. We might be misunderstood. We might be asked to give up long-held ambitions, or perhaps to lose family or friends. We might be astounded at the direction our life takes, in both good and difficult ways. We might end up in situations that we never dreamt we'd be capable of doing, doing things that we never thought possible. Or we might say no to God. That is also an option, and God always respects that when we say it. I found that saying yes to God has been both an exhilarating and painful experience. Most of you know that I'm due to be ordained on the 30th of June, and this journey so far has been very different to what I thought it might have been. It's not turned out how I imagined it, in good ways and bad ways. But, you know, I'm personally very grateful that God doesn't show us ahead of time everything that's in store for us. I think I'd have run for the hills at great speed had he done so. But what I've discovered is that when I'm obedient, which, as some of you know, is not my main gifting, ask my husband, and when I trust God and let him take control, the things that I assume to be impossible start to happen. And as I take the journey step by step with him and trust him to keep his promises I find that situations change and that I the obstacles are overcome and that I grow in the process but it can still be really tough along with great blessing Mary would find out that being mum to the son of god brought pain and heartache that she could never have imagined but she will also have the immense joy and the privilege of seeing God working through her and working his plans out for his people, for the whole of humanity, through her. And the thing is that God still interacts with his people today. He still asks us to trust. He still asks us to be obedient. And he'd still, he still loves it when we say yes. And his promises still hold true. He won't ever, ever let us down. But it's up to us to decide whether we want to be involved in those plans or not. He'll never force us to say yes. So I wonder what it is that God's asking you to do today. Are you sensing His prompting to say yes to something? It could be something fairly small, or all something life-changing, but either way, it always requires obedience. Or perhaps you're busy ignoring him with your fingers stuck in your ears, going la-la-la-la-la-la, like children do. Or perhaps you're just in the middle of some lengthy negotiations with God about whether to say yes or not. Now, just a tip from experience, it never ends well, that kind of negotiation. I always lose, so I'm just pointing that out. Or maybe you've said yes to God, willingly and obediently. And now you think you might have bitten off way more than you can chew. I want you to be reassured today that God is still there. He's still working through you. He's still fulfilling his plans for your life. So whichever point you're at, if you need prayer to help you to take that next step, then it's available here this morning. The church family, we're here to help each other listen to God. And to support each other on the journey we don't have to do this on our own and i know that many of us are grateful for having a church family around us that can support us and help us in the difficult things that life throws at us and in the joys as well we can celebrate together too so this morning in a minute i'm going to ask us to stand together And what i'd love is for if you want prayer to allow people to pray with you. Come up the front and allow people to pray with you. Perhaps you're making a difficult choice. Perhaps you need the courage to say yes. Perhaps you need the courage to keep going. Or perhaps you're sensing great excitement that God's calling you into something. And you just want someone to pray with you and affirm that with you. Whatever it is, we'd love to pray with you. And there were people, people available to pray with you. So can I ask you to stand with me? And we're going to pray. And then just take some time listening. We've got some time this morning, so let's just listen to God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that no word from you fails. That your promises are true and real and steadfast. We pray now, Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to come. We pray for your presence, Lord God, to fill this place. And to help us as we walk in trust and obedience with you. So let's just take some time to listen now to what God might say.